Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome at long last to Empire's Rogue One, a Star Wars story spoiler special podcast. First things first, apologies for the delay on this one. We know there has been, as one former Empire editor once said, some classic Empire fanning around with this one. Uh, We did put the special up on December 19th for a short while. That was a mistake. That was our bad. Sorry about that. Uh, Then, as you know, if you've been following the saga on Twitter, we decided to put it up on January 1st. That was to give people time to watch the movie, both on both sides of the Atlantic and around the world, uh, to see the film, and also as a bit of a New Year's treat. Jan 1st, you get up, and there the podcast is waiting for you. And then, of course, Carrie Fisher passed away just after Christmas. And after we had processed our initial shock and the loss of a legend, we knew that we we just couldn't put up the spoiler special as it was. And we couldn't put up a, a podcast that discusses not only Star Wars, but Princess Leia without acknowledging Carrie Fisher. And so we decided to push it back again until we had time to get back into the office after our Christmas break and record something new. Hope you understand. Uh, so here's how the next 90 minutes or so is going to unfold. First of all, you're going to hear the original spoiler special, As Is. So you'll hear our exclusive interview with Rogue One's director, Gareth Edwards, followed by a chat about the film from me, James Dyer, Helen O'Hara and Ian Freer. After that, there'll be an additional section where Helen... Hello. ...and I talk about Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia and her Star Wars legacy. So please stay tuned at the end of the spoiler special for that additional section. Okay, time to settle back, relax, and enjoy the Rogue One, a Star Wars story, spoiler special, at long last. And yes, spoilers lurk within from the off, so if you haven't seen Rogue One, go to a cinema, see Rogue One, and then come back. Seems simple enough. Me. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the latest in our series of Spoiler Special Podcasts. This one is dedicated to the first standalone Star Wars live action movie since Ewoks Battle for Endor. It is, of course, Gareth Edwards' Rogue One, a Star Wars story which tells the tale of how a group of rebels stole the plans for the first Death Star way back before A New Hope was A New Hope. Uh, over the next 90 minutes or so, I'll be discussing the film in depth with my very own hastily assembled crew of rogues, scoundrels and nerf herders, including, but not limited to, no it is, it's just these guys, uh, James Dyer, author of the four-star review of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am good. Thank you very much, Chris. Excellent. Helen O'Hara, very much the Mon Mothma of this pod. <laughs> I will take that. I did meet Mon Mothma the other week. The, the real Genevieve. one of the new film. Genevieve O'Han- O'Reilly. She's great. Yeah. She's awesome. Awesome. And last but not least, Ian Freer, a man who thought he'd learned everything there was to learn about Star Wars and so is naturally delighted at all these new planets and character names he has to cram into his <laughs> noggin. How are you? I thought I'm good, thank you. I thought you were going to say I'm a reconstructive grandma talk, my grandma talking. You know, I thought that's what I was... That's the, well, the Norman Clint I was getting. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was going to introduce CG Peter Cushing, but he was unavailable. <laughs> he's, he's off with a remake of Dracula. That's what he's doing. Um, so there we go. Welcome all. Uh, And before we get into it, uh, a reminder, we will be discussing spoilers galore on the podcast, third act revelations, big deaths, all that sort of stuff. So if you haven't seen Rogue One, colon, a Star Wars story, go and see it. 
and then come back here once you have, because then everything we say will will make a lot more sense. Well, it'll make sense. Well, well, it'll be words. Uh, but first, very first thing you're going to hear though is a chat with the director of Rogue One, Gareth Edwards, uh, James. Yes, where is he? Went along to speak to Gareth Edwards earlier this week in a top secret London location. Where was it? Claridge's, Corinthia? Where was Corinthia. it? Corinthia. Corinthia. Uh, <laughs> and talk to him about a great many things. What did he talk about? To give the give the listeners an idea of what they're gonna what they're gonna hear. Uh, Westworld, really, primarily. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's a fan. Did uh, you stay on target at we all? We stayed on target. Yes, we talked about all sorts of thermal exhaust ports above uh, and below the main port. Okay. Uh, no, it was good. It was uh, it was an interesting conversation, as you are about to hear. Okay, you've you've sold it to me. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Good. Let's listen to this. Gareth Edwards talking to James Dyer. Enjoy. Gareth, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir? I am very well. I am good to be back on Earth and no longer in a galaxy far, far away. It's all calmed down now. It's a bit boring, to be honest. <laughs> it gets addictive up there. <laughs> I kind of want to go back, to be, if, I'm, if I'm honest. It's like playing with your favourite toy set, I imagine. It is. No, it's like, it's like you're born into a world and, and there was, like, I was two when Star Wars came out. So it was like you grow up with Star Wars figures and Atats and X-Wings and stuff. And that's kind of what you're promised the world is like. And then suddenly you realise, actually, it's a massive lie. You realise life's actually very boring. And so everyone says, like, wasn't it crazy doing Star Wars? Wasn't it crazy? And you go, no, actually, it was normal. It was what they it was what they advertised in the brochure when we were kids. And it was life that was, like, just terribly worse. And, and so getting to do Star Wars for two years was like going back to normal life in a weird way it's like what you were what you thought it was going to be when you were little and you say getting to do star wars this is almost in the purest sense getting to do star wars because yeah. it is so episode four the whole thing top to bottom just feels episode yeah, no, four honestly if they like laid out i don't know what they're planning to be honest in you know for the rest of the films but if they would i feel like it, whatever they would lay out and say would you want to do this do you want to do that if you were offered anything else um even the sagas i would have been like no i want to do rogue one because that's that's connected to the film that started me off wanting to do filmmaking, wanting to do everything. Let's get right into the meat of it. So the film starts, there's no crawl. At what point was that a thing? Was um, there ever a crawl? I, if The first screenplay that Gary Witter wrote had a crawl in it. Mm. I mean, obviously, as, as a fan, like all of us, he was like, oh, I can't wait to write the crawl. In. And you learn doing that that... Um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away has four dots in it, not three. <laughs> That's very you important. You get extra marks for that. And, and, then, and then at some point, I can't even remember when it was, probably like six months before we were filming, we're in a meeting, they sort of talked about, and we're thinking about not having an opening crawl because, you know, these are standalone films, not part of the sagas. And if I'm honest, there was an initial kind of like, ah, uh, you know, like, oh, I want the crawl. <laughs> <laughs> and then you like it, it's rhythmically it doesn't really matter what's written on that text, but rhythmically, like letting everyone calm down and stop munching the popcorn and the quiet in the audience, and then it comes, is a really nice thing to have. Um, and and but our film basically, they they felt like that the opening sequence is kind of the crawl of our movie. It's like the setup, and then um, our film is also born out of a crawl. Like the reason we exist is because of a previous crawl. So it feels like this infinite loop that'll never end. And they wanted to <laughs> differentiate the Star Wars story like standalone movies from the sagas and so it was just it was just something that was decided and you know that's a s small thing to give up to yeah. get to do Star Wars so I was, I, was, so I was fine with it and of course the opening musical cue is different as well yeah. yeah yeah. and there's a fake out 
Giacchino does a fake out, the bit where it starts with the same notes and then goes into a different piece of music slightly further on. Right. That's that, which I thought was quite a, kind of a nice touch. Yeah. It's because he just couldn't get the royalty clearance <laughs> yeah. on that. It's a PRS issue. I think John Williams owns it. <laughs> the things you do also differentiate with in this is you have obviously no wipes either. Yeah. So more traditional cards and title cards for the planets as well. Was that, again, was it a stylistic differentiation or did you think, you know, we're doing a lot of planetary movement in this one, we need to kind of keep it out there? Yeah, these are kind of group decisions because yeah. it's stylistically for the, for the stories, you know, the standalones and not the, you know, not being part of the sagas. And so we did have versions of the film where there was wipes and stuff and, and then it just felt like we were doing it because we could. And yeah. there's, you can't ever, the wipes are the cheesiest thing in the world. The only time you can ever do it and it not be cheesy is in, a, is in Star Wars. Yeah. And so something really nice about that efficiency of storytelling where you can just wipe the screen and you're somewhere else. Um, you don't have to do even establishing shots, you know what I mean? You, kind of the audience gets it. But yeah, I think uh, it, was, it was just something that was a gradual process that, you know, incrementally became what it did. And yeah, I'm, you know, there's part of me that wanted the wipes maybe and, and things like that. But I, I think that it, it, the film is supposed to be different. We were given a license by the studio to be unique from the others and we just took that license and ran with it as like this as an excuse to to try and be a bit more out there but you do get to use a lot of the old toys so you use quite a bit of archive footage in this don't you i saw red and gold leaders in there i was like was that a thing that was archive footage right of those guys yeah like very early on you know we talk about well in theory the x-wing pilot should be here yeah and so we went you know the on a tour around um the archives at, at skywalker ranch you know, you get to see all the really cool stuff like Darth Vader's helmet, the Millennium Falcon, you know, the Luke Skywalker's lights, lightsaber and jackets and everything. You know, you name it, it's there. And then at the very bottom of the basement, there's all these cans of film. And I just walked past them thinking, I don't know what they could be. There's something else. And I said, what are these? And they said, oh, they're, they're the negatives from Star Wars. And you're like, what? Like, they exist. Have you watched them all? And they went, no. Have you gone through them all? And they're like, not really. We haven't yet. And you're like, oh my God, like this is like, someone should sit and just digitize all of this stuff. And like, I'd pay for it. I'll sit and watch it. Like, can I do that? And, and so what we did is we pulled out of the archives all the X-Wing pilot footage and some other bits and bobs. And, and we just got them rescanned. And they weren't perfect. Obviously, you can imagine they aged quite a bit. Yeah. And they needed a lot of cleanup from Industrial Light and Magic. And, but I really wanted to have like Gold Leader and people like that in there and just as a nod and it was funny because you do it for yourself as a fan and you think I wonder how many people will notice but at the premiere it got one of the biggest cheers when he showed up and I was like I actually punched you know yeah I love all that stuff I mean it's and you can sort of in a normal movie you go you shouldn't be doing fan service like that because you know really you should be thinking of the majority of the world but with Star Wars the majority of the world is a fan yeah and so I think these things are okay I love that you also cast the other pilots with sort of 70s porn stashes as well, so they all look like, like part of the same squadron. Yeah, yeah. I used to think some of them were fake, and you go up and you could never guess. The, 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 the makeup department was really, really good, and you'd, you'd have to watch from a distance and have these, like, sweepstake on who, who had real sideburns or fake moustache, and you'd never get it right. Everyone, everyone that was picked to be background artists... To be honest, you know, a lot of the, the stipulation was you've got to have like a 70s haircut. And uh, and I got a cameo in the film as well. I can maybe talk about it because you've seen Where the film. You? I was at the very end. Oh, were you? Whereabouts? I totally missed that. Uh, I'm not sure I should say. 
See, I'm going to ask you about reference because there's tons of references in there. You've got Blue Milk, Dr. Evazan, obviously, and Ponderbarba turn up, which yeah. is a nice touch. Uh, so many other things. I heard the sound of the mouse robot, but you don't see it. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. What's the one that you think, A, people won't get, or the one that you're most proud of? Um, I mean, you've mentioned a few. There are a lot more, obviously. Yeah. There's, God. I mean, the Blue Milk was a quick thought, you know, like, I love the whole blue milk thing when I was 30 I went to Tunisia for my birthday and I drank blue milk mm. at Luke's house and stuff like that and we were just on set and there was all these things and and it wasn't really I don't think we planned it it was just there was this shot that had to dolly in towards the kitchen and that kitchen was all supposed to look like Luke Skywalker's kitchen because I just think that looks so cool there was something very um, it's like a Nintendo quality to like the console uh, finish to a lot of the tech in Star Wars yeah. And that sort of 80s kind of Commodore 64 kind of... Very analogue. Yeah. And, and so they, we had a lot of that as reference for, for all, the, all the stuff in the kitchen and things like this. And we're just doing this shot and, and there was a glass and a thing that was like, can we get some blue dye? Can we make this blue milk? And it wasn't supposed to be front and centre. It's just the way it turned out. But there's loads of little Easter eggs in there. I mean, to some extent, we, it was hard not to turn it into an Easter egg full of Easter eggs. Um, like, I feel, you know, there was a thousand things we could have done and we probably did like 50 you yeah know? but you get i mean you get some pretty awesome front and center callbacks not least of all the dark lord of the sith himself uh which is kind of pretty exciting it was also very interesting to see him when we come across him first sort of floating in the back to tank was mm. that an idea that you wanted to do something with vader that we've never really fully seen before yeah, I mean, you know, I'm jealous of moments like in Empire Strikes Back where the you see the back of his head yeah. and, and you just go, oh my God, that is so cool. And wanted to try and find something like that in our film. And just looking back at images and things for like fun when we started this process, like I'm a big fan of, um, it was actually, it was like Chris Cunningham inspired thing of like the idea of being in milk and like with uh, all is full of love and, and he's, he did some other videos where people floating in water and stuff and and it and it was just like I'd love to do something with Vader where he's just like like because he's really a Burns victim you know mm. what I mean and it's not going to be fun for him when he's not in the suit and he's going to be uncomfortable so and I love the idea of showing that he's vulnerable as well like yeah. everyone in this movie wanted to set them up to have like contradictory uh, character traits you know like no one's just clean like no one gets out of this movie just either being bad or good Vader's very very bad and so you try and just glimpse something of him that gives him some humanity or makes you empath empathize with him. Yeah. And I think just seeing those scars and realizing that he's kind of, you know, an amputee and just reminding you of that before he does all his stuff. Yeah. It makes you torn. I think it just helps. It just helps. He's just such a rich character, it's, like in so many ways. Until you show he's a massive badass. Near the end. Yeah. He's in the, then you sort of don't feel sorry for him anymore. And, <laughs> And that's something we've never really seen him kind of let rip in quite that way before. So that's kind of, it's quite a special moment, I think, for Vader fans. There was, um, uh, we were at Pinewood and Peter Jackson was in town and Jabez, who was one of the editors on the film, worked on Lord of the Rings and, and, and King Kong and everything. And, and um, we were like, oh, get, we should get Peter along. We should try and get him to come. And it was, every, you know, very busy and you can't really get hold of him. And, and um, has, you know, he's got loads of things on his schedule and, and then I was just there, we were about to shoot that scene, and I thought, oh, you know what, screw it. And I just like, wrote an email saying, Pete, we're about to film Darth Vader if you want to come, it's happening now. And he's like, I'll be there in half an hour, like this. <laughs> and then he perfectly timed it. 
um, he walked in literally for that shot where it goes from darkness to the the lightsaber Beautiful, turning on yeah. and he kind of walked in just before we did the take and he's like what are you, what are you filming and I said oh you're about to see and we went action and it did that whole take that's in the movie where it went down past those people and then he, he turns it on and it felt it felt it felt really cool it felt like I don't know there's a there's a you know whatever I do in my career whatever happens next it's gonna be hard to top <laughs> the honour of getting to direct that scene yeah I mean it's an incredible sort of sequence visually but I think the ballsiest thing about this whole film feels like the fact that as you get towards the end you realise this is a suicide mission do you know what I mean that this is it's actually an incredibly bold thing to do with a Star Wars movie was that always the case or was it something that you kind of decided would work best after the fact I mean it's a great Disney tradition isn't it for every single character to die in all their <laughs> movies I mean, certainly their parents yeah um, I think there was an early version the very first version they didn't uh, in the in the screenplay, mm. and and it was just assumed by us that we couldn't do that. There's not they're not going to let us do that. So let's try and figure out how this ends, where that doesn't happen. And then everyone read that, and there was just this feeling of like, it doesn't. F- they've got to die, right? And everyone was like, yeah, can we? And we thought we weren't going to be allowed to, but but Kathy and everyone at Disney were like, yeah, it makes sense. Mm. I guess they have to because they're not in a new hope. And so from that point on, like we had the license and I kept waiting for someone to go you know what could we just film an extra scene where we see Jin and Cassian they're okay and they're on another planet and la 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 and never ever came no one ever gave us that note and so uh, we got to do it because I was waiting for I thought she might get rescued because there's a shot in the trailer of the TIE fighter coming up right in front of that sort of promontory bear Mm. was that not a rescue so much as an attack when in the uncut footage Um, that Oh, that came about. There's a there's a there's a fair bit of footage. Obviously, I think waiting for the websites to begin that analyse what was in the marketing and what was in the film and things yeah. like that. Yeah, there was a bit of a process to to refining the third act in terms of the specific shots and moments and and so certain things just fell away. And but then they what happens is marketing love those shots and go, oh, we've got to use that. You know, and you say well, it's not in the movie and it's like it's okay. Um, it's what marketing does you know we just use the best of whatever you've done and but towards the end you go I know that's not in the film but the spirit of it's in the film you yeah. know and things like that and so that it would happen and yeah well the last thing I want to ask you about before we run out of time is Peter Cushing right now George did that in episode three but nowhere near as well at what point did you realize we can actually do this and we can actually because it looks like I mean you use him tons I mean it's an incredible achievement and the voice actor is amazing where did you find him it's Guy Henry uh, his name and it was it was sort of tricky to convince Guy he was he was brilliant but um, you're basically going up to an actor and saying now you're going to be in a film it's a big film it's called Star Wars but we're not going to see your face uh, you actually look totally like someone else and you're not allowed to tell anyone and it's like there's nothing in it for them you know what I mean and so it's quite an ask of an actor to mm. say could you do this and Gina Jay who was our casting director she was she was looking everywhere we were looking at every possible person and suddenly she just sent me this clip one day I remember I was with one of the producers and we just played it and it was Guy Henry and he was like he, he inhabited like his whole way about him was like Peter Cushing and we, as soon as that clip ended, we just looked at each other and went, we found him. And and then I had to go and convince him in a restaurant, like, to do this. And he was kind of flattered. And he said, you know what? You know what was really interesting about it is that Guy Henry started his TV career 
in the UK playing young Sherlock Holmes. And he said to me that what he used to do to get into the role was he'd watch all the old Peter Cushing Sherlock Holmes films. And because he would try and not impersonate Peter Cushing, but because he tried to absorb that in his character, and then he became famous for that, he sort of kept Peter Cushing in him throughout the years. And he said, you know what, if you'd told me anyone else in the world that you wanted me to mimic, I would have been like, no, I can't. No, that's wrong. Um, I don't know why you're asking me. And he says, but the fact it's Peter Cushing, I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean. And so he came on set and he had to wear all this crazy stuff, this headpiece. And it was really like distracting for not him mainly, but everybody else as well. It's hard to sort of just talk to someone. They got this. Yeah. They look like Doc Brown from Back <laughs> to the Future when Marty f- turns up that time. And, but it's incredible. And Industrial Light Magic and John Noel needs a lot of credit for this because everyone was kind of like, can we do this? Are you sure we can do this, John? Should we just kind of limit it to one shot? Should we hide them? And John was like, no, 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 we can do this. We can do this. And so it was just treat him like any other actor and, and put him in the film as much as he needs to be and, and then cross your fingers and hope that ILM can do their magic. And they did. Yeah, it was and pretty good. The last word of the film is from another CG character. Is that taken from the speech in A New Hope? Just the dialogue, is it lifted? The dialogue is taken, yes. Just that word is taken out from But her. not the image. It's a, no. it's a 3D. Yeah, 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 it's a 3D concept, but yeah. Nice. Well, Gareth, thank you very much indeed. No, thank you. A thanks pleasure. a lot. Cheers, thanks. Okay, so that's Gareth Edwards out of the way. He's done. He's dusted. Did uh, you notice the part oh. in this where uh, I brought up the score fake-out there's a bit where the opening note, which I believe I want to say is, is it C-flat major? Yeah, C-flat major. The Nerd. first note, yeah, thank you, of the uh, main title for Star Wars plays at one point during the film, and then it goes off into something else. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was a big fake out. And as I was saying this to Gareth, he looked at me absolutely blankly as if I was speaking bocce. Uh, and clearly has no idea which what you can about, do, which I can do. Uh, so either I'm going insane, or he is. It's one of the two. At which point? I think I have a preference, really, and a guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At which point does it does it take place? It's entirely possible that I am making this up. It's not the very beginning. It's about I want to say about twenty thirty minutes in. There's a bit where you hear C flat major, or maybe I just wanted to hear it. And you hear it go out, and then it goes off in a kind of okay. or something similar. All right, uh, and it wasn't what I thought it would be. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But okay, before we get into it, so what we've done is we have canvassed a load of questions from Twitter, from email, all sorts of stuff. Um, people asking us about the film in great detail. But before we get into that, let's just get a quick sort of overview of where we are with the movie. Uh, I really, really like this. Uh, I thought this was the movie, this is the movie I wanted The Force Awakens to be. Uh, not just a, it's got this drenched nostalgia, it's got a lot of fan service moments in there, but it goes into new territory, uh, dark territory, does surprising things in a way that I thought The Force Awakens didn't. Helen? Uh, I was, it was very much on a level with Force Awakens for me in terms of how much I liked it immediately. I think with Force Awakens, I probably fell more for the characters, and with this one, I maybe fell more slightly for the plot or certainly the action scenes. And mm-hmm. the, the second half of this film, I think, is at least as good as anything we've seen this year. I thought it was phenomenal. Interesting. I'm going to say it's the be- best blockbuster of 2016. Wow. Uh, I know you. You know I prefer stormtroopers to Iron Man in terms of people who wear helmets. I'm pretty sure Iron Man's in this movie. <laughs> At least. But I, I, I just figured that. Well, I mean, obviously, all the Star Wars stuff is great, but it's, it's a blockbuster that has a really solid premise. It's just a great idea for a film, and so many modern blockbusters they seem so confusing to me, and I can't really get my head around them. And this is a very simple idea: how do they steal the Death Star plans? 
And I said it worked. Yeah. It's great. Uh, to put it in context, Ian, you've probably forgotten more about Star Wars than any of us in this room know, including James Dyer. Oh, our challenge is set. Well, I say James knows more about the fictional world, and I know more about the making. I of, think that's fair. The uh, expanded universe, which is no longer canon, because so we wrote all that time was spent. Ian and I wrote the ultimate Star Wars quiz together, didn't we? Yes, remember we did. did for Celebration Europe. God, when was that? Ten years ago, something like that. Yeah, so it was kind of like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker ruling the galaxy together. Exactly, like father and son. <laughs> uh, and Ian did all of the production questions, and I did all of the really nerdy planet and stuff questions. Mm. So, yeah. And Jimbo, what do you think of the, of the movie? Four well, stars, Empire I Magazine? did indeed give it four stars. Uh, yes, I enjoyed it very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if I'm honest, I didn't enjoy it, enjoy it as and much as... You didn't enjoy it I didn't as, enjoy as much as it. I did not enjoy it as much as uh, The Force Awakens. Okay. Um, and the reasons are, I think, as, Kellen's, uh, as Kellen... Yeah, sure. Not, it's not my Star Wars so well name. with the language. Uh, as Helen said, the characters, I think, were the down point on this for me, that they were a little bit bland and they didn't stand out and they're not classic... Star Wars characters. I like Krennic a lot, but apart from him, I found the others quite forgettable. Um, I like Chirrut Imwe, I think. Mm. Uh, but but for me, I think the problem is is that uh, while it was it was at once the most Star Wars film in that it threw back to the seventies and it threw back to a new hope so much, but also the least Star Wars film because it ejected many of the trappings of Star Wars. So mm. no wipes, no crawl, no fanfare. Uh, the music, as I'm sure we're going to later, was a big issue for me. Uh, in the the thing with Star Wars, it, it gives me a feeling, a little feeling in the pit of my stomach, like I'm five years old again, this is the greatest moment of my life. And this film, while I loved it, didn't give me that feeling. And I think it's because it's missing so many of those trappings. And weirdly, I also reviewed um, the uh, Clone Wars movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that, and that had the same issue for me. Obviously, it's an animation, it's a very different thing. But my biggest problem with that is it didn't feel like a Star Wars film. Again, no fanfare, no Williams. Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, the music and the trappings and the wipes and all that, that's all part of the Star Wars experience. And I get that they've tried to thematically and stylistically separate this from the episodes and make it its own thing, but I would rather they hadn't. I want to defend it a little bit on that score, and actually on the characters as well. On that score. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I actually liked the characters. I just didn't fall in love with anybody as much as I fell in love with BB-8, Kylo Ren and Poe Dameron in extremely different ways. Mm. Um, and... Uh, and so, yeah, they, I, I would agree, agree about uh, Chimret. It was a standout. His and he and Baze's relationship was great. Mm. But I think actually they did a lot with very little time. I really liked K two S O as well. I thought he was great. As did I. Um, yeah. But on the score, because you'd come back from a screening earlier than me, <laughs> and endlessly bitched about it, I was you know, trying to pay half a mind to it, and. I think it wasn't bad. I think uh, Giacchino, who had very little time to do this, uh, after it being brought in in, what, September, after Alexandre Duplat had to depart the project for scheduling reasons, um, he he used a lot of William's smaller cues, didn't he? And he used a lot of the same instruments and the same yeah. sounds and the same tones. So I, I didn't miss the big fanfares as much because I f- it still felt Star Warsy to me. I don't know. Because I, I don't think you can have the Star Wars theme in this film. The Star Wars film theme is Luke's theme. That's what it is. Yeah. So you can't have that in this film. You could have the main, you know, no, the you main have the, theme, the main is, title. You can have the, you know, a bit more imperial marching. You can have some, you know, some some more. I wanted more I familiar cues. He would have got hit over the head if he'd have done more to war well, imperial march. Yeah, well. I so think you're right. You know, I should qualify this by saying I think Michael Chikino is a really great composer. He's done great work at Up and Star Trek and so many great things, but. 
In this one, I really felt it was a very vanilla score. Sorry, Michael, I really, really <gasps> like your work, but I did not like it. I'm sure and he's listening. I t- yeah, I'm sure he is. <laughs> and I take your 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 time thing, and he did have to turn it around very, very quickly, but in the nicest way, James Horner did the alien score in, like, his lunch hour. So yeah, that's and, uh, not an excuse. Yeah, it was very easy for him. He went, ooh, which other composers do I like? <laughs> <laughs> Including myself. I don't oh, know I'll what you're saying. My, I'll take my Star Trek to score. Oh, have you ever looked nice. up those... There's a supercut online called James Horner Danger. <laughs> really? Just look that okay, one up, fine. okay? Interesting. Well, I would rather that Giacchino had cribbed loads more Williams and just made it feel that way. And and one of the things that stands out for me is you... And maybe people do realise, but I didn't realise to the extent that that Williams score breathes so much dynamism into the action of Star Wars. It's almost inseparable from it. And you look at the the you know the the Battle of Endor, you look at the Battle of Yavin, and mm-hmm. those dogfights are very well shot. But it's the music that brings them to life. Like in the scene where the Millennium Falcon is escaping from the Death Star, and they have the the you know the the gun turret battles with the Tie Fighters. It's so energetic, and it's all Williams that does that. And yet, then you look at the dogfight at the end of this, and it's a really really great dogfight. Some incredibly inventive moments, colliding star destroyers. But I found the kind of humdrum score kind of leached excitement I from it. Think, in fairness, we've all seen this film just once, yeah, and that's very unusual for a spoiler special. I like to see a film at least twice, mm. but just couldn't. Uh, and I think we've seen Star Wars. Hundreds of times. Not thousands. We've heard the soundtrack thousands of times. Yeah. And we know that off by heart. Yeah. We know those cues off by heart. And there are humdrum moments in a Williams score as well. <gasps> and I Get think out. in time, uh, we will learn to love the soundtrack as well. I have no problem with the soundtrack. I, I, again, someone, uh, uh, one of my Twitter followers had a real problem with the soundtrack as well. I don't think he's a Chikino fan anyway. Uh, hello, Dave, if you're listening. Um, but I, I didn't mind it. I downloaded it this morning. This has been recorded on Friday. Uh, it was available on iTunes this morning. I downloaded it, listened to it. It's fine. It's okay. It's perhaps not his best score of the year. Does it have pun titles? It doesn't, and that's very interesting. It doesn't have pun titles. And I wonder if he wasn't allowed to do pun titles. Or is he doing a James Patterson? Is this like the new Alex Cross novel? Where it's Michael Giacchino in association with Johnny Work Experience. <laughs> no. Yeah. He's no. the biggest Star Wars fan. He's just being reverent. Yeah, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's a huge fan. It sounds a lot like John Williams to me. But, uh, but the, 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 yeah, the journey to Edo music, is, that is John Williams. That's, yeah. That's fantastic. And there's a really great, I'm not sure which track it is because I was listening to it without looking at the tracks, but I'm pretty sure it's the track that plays as the giant shockwave cloud destroys uh, uh, Jeddah City. And that's a, there's a lovely, long, discordant note that ends that. That's fantastic. But anyway, we're not here to delve into the soundtrack because we don't have yeah. that much time. But you, your, your point, before we get on to the reader's questions, listener's questions, sorry, <laughs> magazine habits, um, is uh, about, does this feel like a Star Wars movie? And I feel that there's, there's an interesting conflict at the heart of this movie uh, in that it begins with the, the, the words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I did not expect that. And so it, that that almost then primes you for the crawl. Mm. Mm. Uh, and when it didn't come, I was okay with it. And I think one of the reasons why there's no crawl uh, is that the crawl sets in place the story. And this movie takes place, this movie uh, stylistically is very, very different. Structurally, it's very, very different. Correct me if I'm wrong again, guys, but I think this is the first Star Wars live action movie in which there's a time leap. Am I right in that? Like a proper time leap, like a proper... Uh, it jumps 15, 15, 20 years ahead. And yeah. the, and the, so therefore, a crawl yeah. wouldn't work. What we would the crawl say? Yeah. Galen Erso is, you know, that's yeah. all going to be filled in yeah. in, 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 the, in dialogue. The, the crawl is essentially a book called Catalyst, um, Catalyst 
the James Asano book, which kind of tells you the backstory of Krennic and Galen Earth. So, so it's kind of all in that kind of different, different kind of... Yeah. yeah. So you should just, just get that book, type it into your computer, <laughs> yeah. convert it into a crawl, and then before the movie, just... Just, just watch it. Like bring bring all, your iPad to the cinema. All three hundred pages. <laughs> all three hundred pages. Yeah. I'll tell you what felt least Star Wars to me. It wasn't so much that, and and we did then cut to a planet and a spaceship, as is traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, what felt least Star Wars to me, and the moment which really kind of took me aback was it the clowns. No, <laughs> it was Forrest Whitaker uh-huh. as Sol Guerrero, um, not fighting to stay alive. That was the biggest moment for me realising oh this is not a Star Wars film like the others th- th- that made no sense to me in a sort of a Star Wars context or indeed any context well I mean in, in fairness he was limping quite slowly he was limpy McLimperson and, and he decided not to limp away and possibly you know slow down other people so they didn't survive either because I, I thought it was going to be a big last stand at that point but his last stand is looking out of a window there's and nothing even to stand against I think that's the point McLimp face you know you can still get onto the ship uh, yeah But I think, well, yeah, no, I I would actually agree with part of that quibble, but I do think there's a point about the Death Star not being something that someone like him can fight against. You know, there is a limit to guerrilla warfare and it is a nuclear bomb, for example. It's that kind of a feel. Um, But that was the moment where I was like, oh, this this is not Star Wars. This is someone throwing his life away. This is not what happens. And similarly then at the end, which we're obviously going to talk quite a bit about, Mm -hmm. um, and this, again, this is a spoiler podcast, everybody. Uh, on the beach, they're just on the beach, mm. and they're there, and and they're not look, you know, they're not frantically looking around for a ship. I think they've already realised there isn't a ship handy enough to save them. They're just gonna die. That's not Star Wars. No, and everybody dies. And everybody dies. It's a bloodbath. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I died. Yes, <laughs> yeah. um, had to be re- revived. It, I love that last shot on the beach, and it, it, you know, you could have to look away from the fact that the Death Star gunner misses the target by a good fifty miles, just clips the top of the. But that's drama it's an for experimental you. space yeah. station. Yeah, yeah. And I love that the Death Star also apparently now has a low power setting. That's yeah, quite... that was cool. <laughs> Single ball destruction. Yeah, of course. I mean, why yeah. you 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 just destroying planets? If that's the only thing you can do, then that's a bit pointless. It's it's a bit of a blunt instrument, yeah, isn't it? Really, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. You've destroyed all the planets. What's left? Yeah, You've very bold, though. Very bold. That just yeah. kill so everyone, and it makes we, sense because they don't turn up elsewhere in the mythology. But I think you could have yeah. got around that. Uh, yeah, I'm impressed he was allowed to. I mean, as Gareth said in the interview, you know, it's like they kind of he wasn't sure he'd be allowed to, and was kind of I think surprised that he was allowed to kill everyone. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're we're obviously answering a lot of questions that people have sent in already about the characters and about the death deaths in the movie because, as you say everybody dies mm. uh, in a way that completely surprised me. And that's one of the things I, I loved about it. A lot of people have written in uh, asking, at what point do we know Do we know beforehand that everyone was going to die? Personally, I thought this was going to be a sort of Disney-fied version, for, for, for want of a better verb, uh, of, of Star Wars, that you would have a suicide mission where they all get away. Um, <laughs> or at least most. Or at least, least most. Of them. Yeah. We knew... Can we say that we knew that Donnie Yen was going to die? Because well, Chang Wen said it. <laughs> yeah, Chang Wen at, uh, at Star Wars so Celebration yeah. Europe accidentally let slip that, that Donnie Yen's <laughs> character dies, and that was amazing. Um, so we, we, I knew that, uh, but I, I was genuinely surprised yeah. by, by a, a lot of the other, the other deaths. And the, the, the final moment, whether in the original ending, um, Cassian Andor was, was still alive. For that moment on the beach, 
It has it it it's, it feels slightly to me that he had died uh, the, the, in a previous version. The deep impact version. moment. Yeah, the deep impact. Yeah, moment. that's what I was thinking yeah. of as well. Mm-hmm. High Tia Leone. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I thought it was a lovely, lovely moment and a really, yeah. really bold yeah, decision from bold. a storytelling point of view to to do that. Because I think even up until they got to the beach, you thought they would live. You thought, okay, we've we've killed everybody else because it's high stakes, but somehow they're going to survive, right? I mean, there's going to be like a you know an X wing with a Cable that they can climb up onto, <laughs> yeah. or some or something. Admiral Akbar is going to appear out of nowhere and just go get onto my ship. No, it was, it was what was it? Radish. 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 Yeah. Of the Radisson. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's a it's a bold it's a bold move, and it, it it's in keeping with what the movie is. Yeah, it's a war movie. It's a movie about guerrilla warfare. It's a movie that's that's very very uh, about now. I would say it's it's very much about where we are <laughs> at the moment um, and it's, it, it, it fascinated me it's a movie that reminded me a lot of great you know World War 2 movies guys on a mission movies yeah. and one thing lot... it didn't do from that genre that I thought it was going to do was have a rat in the house I thought that as well have, I thought have, for sure you know, Bodie Rook was going to in, yeah. in Force 10 from Navarone yeah. or something Telly Savalas so, in, yeah. in Dirty Dozen you know someone who turns on his own team I thought it was going to be the Riz Ahmed character I thought he was being set up as the uh, the snake in the grass so yeah. to speak but no. uh, didn't turn out that way everyone was very much straight and narrow and you know this is yeah. what but they weren't they though to. I mean Cassie and Andor really wasn't again no, this true. is something we haven't seen shoots a guy in the a back star- shoots yeah. a guy in the back an ally mm-hmm. as at that in the back well, I don't think of the Luna as a steely actor I don't think mm. of him like that I think he was great yeah very very good indeed although it did make it a little bit ridiculous when when then Chimra asked you know does he have the eyes of a killer when you're kind of thinking well he, he Logically, he should, right? Yeah, but you, you, he doesn't. He has the eyes of a lovely puppy dog. He does. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but but it, it's it's a lot of those movies. You know, the Dirty Dozen. Only you know, one of the actual Dirty Dozen makes it out. There's a lot of these uh, hmm. World War Two movies where nobody makes it out alive. I thought that was really, really great. Yeah, and there was an was... ace fan theory that Jin Erso was the TIE fighter pilot that clips into Vader in the Death Star Trench. And that was that, <laughs> so she finally does the job. So I thought, oh, that'd be great if that happened, but no, they all went. No. Yeah. Although, yeah. in time honour tradition, we don't see the bodies. So they're still... <laughs> oh, <laughs> they might still no. be around. You never know. An air pocket. <laughs> you never know. But I thought everyone had a, a really lovely moment. Um a lovely death moment uh, as well and uh, props to them for, for yeah, pushing on with that. So what we're going to do now, we're going to take some, we got lots of questions sent in via uh, Twitter and via email. So here, uh, a couple from Lucian Wall Daily. I'm just going to take them in the order in which I received them. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think the Rogue One characters will be referenced in future episodes? Capital E. Um, it wouldn't make a lot of sense given no. that they weren't in the first three. Yeah. Beyond yeah. Uh, after a battle, Princess Leia has the plans kind yes. of thing. I think no. I think that's... Uh, another question. Who is Bail Organa talking about when he references the female Jedi? He, would he doesn't trust say Jedi. Life? He doesn't say Jedi. I know. I'm Sorry, I know, but I'm just yeah. correcting okay. the question as you're saying He's it. He's referring right. to Leia. He's referring yeah. to Leia. He would trust Leia with his life. He also has a throw, throwaway reference to Captain Antilles, doesn't he? He does, yes. Yeah. You can just about hear. Yes, he's talking about Leia there, uh, as we saw at the end of the movie. We'll talk about that in a second, because... Here's a question. Uh, could the Peter Cushing resurrection software, which I believe is what it's called, you can buy it off the shelf, <laughs> uh, be used to immortalise slash de-age Harrison Ford forever? <laughs> well, this is, I mean, okay. So, so many questions about this, by the way. This about- is the holy grail of VFX, mm. is creating an entirely convincing 
CG human, whether a recreation of an existing person or an entirely you know new human creation. Um, and I think this shows that they've come a long way. I think it also shows they're not there yet. No. Um, so uh, it was it was really interesting. It shows a huge degree of confidence for the filmmakers to put Peter Cushing in as many scenes as they did and to yeah. finish with Princess Leia in the way that they did. I think they were both, from an art point of view, exceptionally well done. But I think from a technology point of view, we're still really good at spotting fake humans, like as a yeah. species. Mm. And that's mm. why the, uh, the edge of the uncanny valley is a vast desert. Basically, even though they keep inching closer to the edge. Yeah. You can tell. I mean, there's a moment in um, Doctor Strange where Mads Mikkelsen goes from being Mads Mikkelsen to CG Mads Mikkelsen for just a second. Yeah. yeah. But you can tell. It's about mm. weight and about texture and about, you know, just having a sense of mass. And this is, why, this is why they have as many physicists on VFX teams as they do artists, mm. you know. But don't they introduce talking... As a reflection in a kind of a window. Yes, and, and that worked that's great. Gorgeous. Yeah. Mm, that's gorgeous. That's yeah. how you do that. So I wondered if I were going to be a bit more... A bit more circumspect. Yeah. yeah. Look at this and then look at Tarkin at the end of episode three and it's just worlds apart. Yeah. I mean, he looked incredible. His lips didn't move fast enough. That's a blow isn't it? What, t- yeah. No. Yeah. Well, t- there's, there's, yeah, there's no. CG stuff there. There's CG well, on top. It's an, it's I believe. An, it's, 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 is it CG makeup? <laughs> yeah, CG yeah. makeup. No, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a, a combination it's of the two. Yeah. They had a guy there and then it's, it's yeah. digitally on It seems to me both Tarkin and Leia are um, further on from Jeff Bridges. Yeah, kind yeah. Of getting, yeah. They're getting definitely. There, it's, they? It is getting there, but it just it was for me the mouth movements. Like it didn't seem to match the words quite right. Like his lips didn't move quite quick enough. No, his eyes weren't quite there. There was no life in the eyes. But what about. What about that thing that, you know, Carrie Fisher's here to say, yes, you can do this? Yeah. Peter Cushing isn't. Well, actually, there was a thanks to the estate of Peter Cushing in the credits. So presumably, at least his nearest and dearest signed off on it. Mm. Yeah. Um, Presumably. We can't speak for Peter Cushing, who was an amazing, lovely, lovely guy. But... I'm not so sure he would have signed off this personally. I mean, it's, it, it, this is some, this feels, it, it feels like I, a step I can too recommend far watching the Congress for anyone who's interested in questions about uh, signing off mm. on, on use of your image, because uh, that's mm. kind of the theme of that entire film. Um, I, I mean, listen, if, if, if his estate, he, he, was, he was not a guy to turn his nose up at effects or makeup and things like that, so maybe he would have been cool with it. You know? I, I, I think also they were some of the best scenes. Like him sparring with Krennic, I loved it. I oh. love that he's not just a super villain. He's a massive workplace twat as well. <laughs> stealing, stealing credit for other people's work. I mean, he's evil in every possible way. Yeah. It's amazing. I, it's, it, it is interesting. I mean, I, I was so taken out of the movie when I realised he was actually in it as a character that I didn't really concentrate on the dialogue between him and Krennic for the, about the first two minutes of that scene. Mm-hmm. So they could have been saying anything. And I honestly would have it would have missed me. Uh, I don't think so it's the eyes. Surprise. I think it's the skin. Still, it's everything. Yeah, it's just, I know it's what you just, mean. It's just not a good enough effect. It's not the Scorpion King in the Mummy Returns. Oh, good God! No. It's not that. It's a quantum leap. Yeah, from it's that. an incredible it effect. Is. It's just not one hundred percent convincing. Yeah. It's just not there. And the Leia one at the end is even more off-putting. Uh, and it's a it's a it's a bit of a shame because I I really really like this movie. I think it's a fantastic Star Wars film in many film in many ways, and that just to end on obviously fake Leia. I was happy with it actually. Mm. I was happy with her. Yeah, uh, I, I I liked Cushing as well. I thought they were fantastic. Weirdly, I had l- more issues with Vader than I did with either Tarkin or Leia being in there because Vader in it. There were a few things that really bugged me, like like the chain that that 
holds his cloak on mm. was tucked up right underneath his visor, and that really irritated Absolutely me. Absolutely ruined the film for me. No, but there was something about his. Hey, <laughs> really? don't you mock no, me? I genuinely, I noticed something weird about his cloak as well, and I yeah. couldn't figure out what it was. It wasn't quite right, and also the way he moved wasn't quite right either. Uh, he had he Vader has a certain sort of like deliberate aspect to his movie, and he has a certain stillness to him, and I thought it was lacking. Uh, not that I'm saying Dave Proud should have got the job, but. He didn't move quite like Vader, and especially when he turns around to force choke Krennic, that felt caricatured, and that didn't feel like Vader moving to me. Um, also, and I think this <laughs> it was great for them to try a joke after that. I thought, yeah, kind of a yeah. Roger Moore esque, yeah, kind of yeah. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back kind of line. What, carefully you don't choke on your ambition, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Something like that. Um, tell me this: uh, was he he built his tower of Sauron? In Mustafar, is that yes, Mustafar? Mustafar yes. So that's where he Do was crippled, where he yes, lost everything. Pablo Hidalgo, uh, who's the, the part of the story, story group at Lucasfilm, confirmed yesterday on Twitter that it was Mustafar. It was Mustafar. Why would he make that his base? Because that's where he lost everything. That's where yeah. he was born. And because yes. they have so very attractive lines. He was born in Also, as, as a behind-the-scenes behind uh. scenes nerd, that's concept art from Ralph McQuarrie that was rejected for Empire Strikes Back. So that lifted yeah. my heart. That was uh. so exciting. I, I recognise that. So I've got the art book. That. <laughs> it's great. I'm glad because Star Wars has this habit of, you know, duplicating planets. There's a couple of desert planets. and yeah. I'm glad that there's yeah. just one volcanic lava planet <laughs> <laughs> and why wouldn't you build your big citadel of evil there um, I, I, yeah. I liked Fader and his film agent was great on that yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> very, very good indeed I mean we have a, we, someone actually wrote in Jan Harald uh, Fredheim uh, he's Norwegian he says the actor who plays Princess Leia is Norwegian Ingfield Dela uh, she was last seen as World Hub Tech in Avengers: Age of Ultron. Uh, obviously, then they did face replacement on her as well. Good knowledge. Thank you, Jan yeah. Harold, for that. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, personally, I think this is a step too far. I think this is something that is just fundamentally wrong to do—to take an actor who is dead and put them in a movie without their consent—is just wrong. I have no recast no, okay. the role. Uh, I think uh, if if the state has signed off on it, it isn't. I think that's wrong. I think the estate okay. they cannot you speak. Can th- think they that. cannot speak for Peter Cushing. They cannot speak for Audrey Hepburn advertising bloody chocolate. Well, they then cannot do that. I think what actors uh, are going to have to do nowadays, and maybe all of us, I don't know, is put a, put something in our will saying, no, you don't get to use my image. Yeah, don't use my if image. You, because you people have done that. Yeah. Um, and like uh, Beastie Boys music can't be used in adverts, for example, because of Adam Yutch's will. Okay. Adam Yutch. Let's have another question, Chris. Let Let's have another question. Yeah. Here's a question from Martin Nguong, uh, who says, uh, why do the ten men need to make the noise of a hundred men? Why make no noise? Sneak in as they did, get the plans, waltz out, and act like nothing's wrong. I think they figured they wouldn't be able to, yeah. didn't they? I mean, ju- yeah. judging by that well, setup. The whole the whole principle of this is it's a diversionary tactic, mm. isn't it? They're out there creating a diversion to draw forces away from the archive where the two of them, or three if you count K2, are getting the plans. Yeah. So, so I mean, and, and actually, they don't go into action until K2 analyzes the situation and says there's 89 stormtroopers between us and the vault. Mm. That's well, when they. One of my favorite things in that sequence was Riz Ahmed shouting the instructions <laughs> to, to, to bring down the shield. Yeah, was they, it? Plug yeah. it into this, and then you've got to find a switch. And it, we don't need to know, Riz. Is there it's a Maplins? Can you find <laughs> a Maplins? You need an HDMI cable. I'll tell you what as well. Another thing that I thought was interesting and different from Star Wars is instead of R2-D2 trundling over to a wall socket and plugging into it, you have K2SO sticking a knife in another droid's head. Yeah. yeah. Now that is, again, a little bit harder edge. Yeah. Yeah, well, he was. Yeah, he, he was. He was hardcore. 
I liked him. Also, I, like, I like how modern it is in that you have to get up high to get a signal. <laughs> you have to go as high as you can to, to, to communicate with people these days. And even in Star Wars, that's the case. Yeah. Here's a question from Jacob Gustafson. Gustafson. Jacob Gustafson. Uh, it, the film, loved the film, but it asked so many new questions. Why did so many people follow Saul Guerrero when he just seemed like a weird guy? Uh, did the octopus find out that Bodhi wasn't lying and they still put him in a cell? How did Chirrut and Baze become best friends? Why do we need to know that? Like Han, so well, Han they were, Chewie, we just yeah. assume that they're best yeah. friends, and they they, 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 they work together. It's a workplace well, friendship. They were yeah, guardians yes. of the temple. They were and specifically that. they were guardians of the wills, Indeed. which is a riff back to obviously the first draft of the Star Wars yeah, uh, screenplay. And, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they mention um, what was the other reference to that that I've completely forgotten. There's there's one where uh, the, before you see uh, Chirrutin way, there's he's talking about um, the, the force, force of others. others. Yes, that's right. Lucas called the force of others in the force in the first draft. So what were the other bits of the question? Uh, why did so many people follow Saul when he seemed like a weird guy? Well, Forrest I mean, Whitaker. yeah, A, he's Forrest Whitaker, <laughs> and B, he'd literally given up quite a lot of parts of his body to defeat the Empire, which gives you a certain amount yeah. of moral cachet. Mm. Like Dennis Hopper in yeah, Velvet, was, yeah. yeah, and what was the second question about the squid? He's, he's an extremist. People follow him. Yeah. Why do people follow extremists? And uh, did the octopus find out Bodhi wasn't lying? I would I think know. so. Yeah. But then Paul, he went the to... psychic octopus. He was predicting the World Cup <laughs> results. He was predicting Brexit. <laughs> and now he's predicting uh, what the pilot was going to say. Yeah. Well, what else think... would they do with him? He'd gone a bit doolally after yeah. having been, you know, mind-sucked. So Yeah, it was like the um, earworms in yeah. uh, Wrath of Khan. Yeah. The Truth Octopus. The Truth Octopus. Do we know what that uh, creature's called? I'm sure it has a name. Ask Pablo. Yeah. We'll just call him Pablo for the time being. <laughs> Pablo the Psychic Octopus. Uh, Simon from Twickenham asks, uh, do you feel that films that fill in the blank between other films lose something? I felt an issue with this film is I knew what happened, or I know what happens next, so there wasn't as much tension for me. Mm. It's, about, it's not really about what happened next, is it? It's about the how and the why of it. Yeah. What, how did they get the Death Star plans? Mm-hmm. What was the, the reasoning behind it? And all that kind of thing. So I don't think you needed to know. It didn't spoil my enjoyment that we knew they got plans yeah the fact that these are new characters and we know that they don't exist in the current star wars universe that brought with it an inbuilt tension for me because anything could happen to them and did Mm -hmm. at any time uh and i i think that 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 just automatically generates yeah suspense doesn't it there's a lovely idea at the heart of it that galen has inserted this flaw yeah yes and it it answers a big logical hole in Star Wars which is why do you build yeah. something With that has flaw. this gigantic flow in so it. It was a really smart idea. Very smart. I think I do think one, one of the things I really like about this film is it does give us a new angle to go into A New Hope with. Like you go in and you see the Tent of Four and you you know you get that why these guys are terrified when they're surrounding the door because they've just seen all of their colleagues get killed by this dude. They're really scared except none of that now makes any sense because why the whole Tantive 4 thing bugged me because like obviously he meets Leia and he said several transmissions have been intercepted that have come to this ship and it's just like no you literally watched them steal it and run away you you were standing there watching the ship run away and Leia's going oh, we're on a diplomatic mission he's like I, saw, you're lo- I watched you yeah, steal the plans no diplomatic mission honest honest God, <laughs> honest he's like liar liar pants Swear on fire I was right there I was on the ship well he doesn't know it's the same ship we saw another 11 nacelled ship you know flying away yeah uh-huh. we did uh-huh. Uh-huh. I yes, counted your honour uh-huh. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. No, I, I feel that, that, uh, that that's really interesting. Well, why would she be on this ship in the first place in the middle of battle? Also, maybe it's gone, maybe there's a little bit of time in between the two. Yeah. Yeah, we, we may not track it down automatically. Yeah. It may just be flying somewhere else. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind that. I didn't mind that. Adam Shortland has a number of questions that we kind of covered. We talked about the score a little bit. We talked about the fact that it doesn't necessarily feel like Star Wars, which is something I really enjoyed. Uh, this, you know, the fader, fader final scene was great from a fanboy point of view. It's kind of what Helen just said. You know, he just kills a bunch of dudes. Uh, that's clearly a fan service moment. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that was in there before the reshoots and the rewrites and, and whatnot. But uh, it's 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 an interesting moment. Uh, but does it match up with the fader we meet at the beginning of New Hope? He's more dynamic, though, isn't it? You don't. That's yeah. the thing that Vader does a lot in the fan fiction and in the games and stuff. But you've never really seen him kind of let rip on a bunch of soldiers before. Uh, I suspect one of those was Gareth. He wouldn't tell me exactly what his cameo was, but I think it was probably one of them. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, he said Peter Jackson came and watched him shoot that bit, which was quite cool. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, but I, I like that sequence a lot. I thought it was great. I, I love that it was the 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 darkness and then you hear the breathing yeah. and then the lightsaber ignites you're like okay that's really cool <laughs> really cool uh, another question from Adam Shorten who says we will assume that most people watching the film know A New Hope Inside Out but if they don't I'm not sure this film makes sense it would be interesting to show it to someone new I'm sure there'll be lots of questions about why a bunch of terrorists are the good guys well it all depends on your point of view I suppose they would <laughs> yeah, see themselves as freedom fighters yeah, yeah. um uh, it's so then the other classic... guys do blow up an entire city. Yeah, they? yeah, that that's, that makes it fairly clear. Yeah, the holy city of Jeddah at that. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen a few people actually over the last couple of days, and I don't know whether this is because of the rise of a certain branch of dickheads uh, in the real world, but a lot of people have been asking, "What, what is this about the Empire? Really, that makes them so evil?" I mean, it's just part of the fact that it's literally said in the crawl for a New Hope, you know, the evil Empire. And they blow up a planet just for shits and giggles. These are not nice people. I mean, I don't think we need to sit in a board meeting, do we? Just, you know, hear them going, what we destroyed this week? And also, I mean, their, their iconography is taken from the Nazis. Yeah. And if we can't agree on the badness <laughs> of the Nazis, then something has gone really badly wrong. Yeah. They're literally called stormtroopers, people. Yeah. Wake up. They're on the alt-right side of the force. It's just, it's, it's, it's not right. Uh, our, uh, you know, and again, from, a certain, from the, obviously from the Empire's point of view, yes, our heroes are terrorists. From our point of view, they're not. He, he makes a valid point, though. There isn't an obvious access point in this film for people who don't know Star Wars but then you could argue they shouldn't be watching it in the first place but I think you have to look at it in a, in a kind of microscopic point of view that this is it's a, it's a, it's a heist movie you know it's a, it's a small it's the dirty dozen you know you don't look at the larger narrative you look at the, the, the story of this one and I think I think there is an access point and I think it's Jyn Erso you see a little girl whose dad is taken away by a hostile force she grows up she's unhappy she finds a way to get her dad back that's yeah, your access yeah, I point. I suppose. I think maybe because I didn't really gel with that character or find her particularly compelling. I didn't feel part of her story. I entered it as part of the, you know, the plan story, you know, part of the, the Star Wars story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess your mileage may vary in that regard. <laughs> your mileage should, um, may vary. But, but we haven't talked about the many, many references as well, of which there are so many. Well, we have a question um, that delineates a lot of those references. Okay. We'll get to that. Let's get to that then. I got this, man. I got this. Um, what was the question? Here's one. 
Tim Ford asks, did anyone notice how much footage from the first two trailers didn't make the final cut? Yes. Seems yes. rewinds were very extensive as plenty of scenes showed Jin running from the building uh, at the end holding the plans he'd end the final cut they're in the machine and gone and also there's that great shot of Krennic uh, walking across the beach with his cloak which is no longer in the in the film. This is a rebellion. I rebel. That's right. Mm-hmm. This is rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. Not in the film, along with Like My Fart, Stuart, and other great dialogue that hit the cutting room floor. Um, <laughs> yes, this is what happens quite. in films. Is it, it is what yeah. happens in films. And this is what happens, and again, we covered this with Gareth, that the marketing team take what they want, and irrespective of the final cut, the most egregious thing, or say egregious, the most obvious thing is the TIE fighter at the end hmm. that you see behind Jin on the platform. That's in the trailer. Is it attacking? Is this a rescue? Was this a different ending? That was, I think, the one that stood out for me. Well, because there was a bit of that scene, right? Because she's uh, she's she on strafed. that sticky eyedy bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she does get strafed. So, yeah, sort of fits. Uh, at but VM yes. Sound actually has a question that, that links in with this one. He goes, if this film was result of extensive reshoots to add more fun, how fucking grim must it have been pre-reshoots? <laughs> pre, pre but I, I was actually surprised by how funny it was. I thought it was very funny. No, but, it's just, no, but I think he means, I, I I think he means the fact that everybody dies. I mean, how badly did they die <laughs> in the well, original also, version? There is that sense that, that Gareth's interest in kind of the beauty of horror in terms of when... When they blow up Jeddah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And there's, there's star destroyers crashing into each other. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I think if that has kind of chimes with Godzilla a little bit. He's kind of into that a little bit. I think. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and it fits in with Monsters as well, which has yeah. a very bleak ending, uh, too. And it's certainly something that I think that, uh, that interests him. Um, can we just go back to Jin Erso? Because you don't like Jin Erso, but Helen, I sensed that you did. I did. So let's talk about Jin. Sure. Not the Qui Gon. But Jin Erso, what, what stood out uh, for you about her? Um, and were you a fan of Felicity Jones's performance? I kind of was actually. I wasn't. I wasn't convinced about her at all to begin with, uh, and I sort of liked her more as she went along. I sort of, if you read her as still quite young and quite and much less uh, experienced than her levels of cynicism would suggest, then I think she mm. actually plays just the right line. I think. It, I think it's quite powerful that way and basically I, I do sort of see it as a father-daughter story because that that's the thing that kind of gives it warmth she sees a chance to get her father back and or clear his name expunge his great sin and that is what drives her through the whole rest of the film and that is what leads her to inspire everyone around her including those 10 dirty men who decide to go with them um <laughs> So I I thought that worked for me. That works at least as well as Luke Skywalker, and quite frankly, a lot probably a lot better. Mm. I, it's not it's not the setup I had issues with. It was just more her, her as a character. I found her very earnest and quite bland and a bit lacking in charisma. That mm. was I think I just didn't engage with her at all. I was just I was very very she I, left me very cold. I thought she was fine. I I I, I like her a lot as an actress. I thought she wasn't that great in Inferno, but then nobody was. Um, <laughs> But she's 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 very goodness, and I really liked the reunion scene, if you will, with her and Galen. Yeah, uh, the tragedy of of that, yeah, of getting so close to saving her father, and then just to watch him being blown up mm-hmm. uh, by her own people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that's interesting. There's a really interesting thread that runs throughout this film about the murkiness of warfare, and uh, I just didn't expect that to be explored. No. In a Star Wars movie, I mean, Star Wars movies have gone dark in the past. I mean, obviously, you have you know Hayden Christensen offing kids in Revenge yeah, of the Sith, and the whole but, Order sixty six where they yeah, yeah. the Jedi. That's kind of, but this, I mean, the whole second half of this film was like Order sixty six. I mean, that was 
Yeah. It was Order 66 writ large, really. Yeah. Thank God it was on a beach. <laughs> All this lovely death and destruction and heroic you know, sacrifices. It's funny, but do you think that changes the tone of it? Because it's it's weird, isn't it, to have you know the evil empire has their secret facility, you know, at a honeymoon location. It's in the Maldives. <laughs> you know, it's like the location like in sandals. Yeah. This this may not ring so much in this country, but of course in America they fought the Pacific War. Yeah, yeah and uh, you know. Um, those those battles, Iwo Jima, all the rest, that are are still very large in the American mm. conscience. So, uh, yeah, I don't think that that necessarily takes them out in the same way it might do us. Because it was like war is hell, but I'd really like to go there on holiday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does look like a really really great place. Well, it did. <laughs> yeah, it did. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's Less like it's now. like this. It's like the start of uh, Thin Red Line, isn't it? Guadalcanal, yeah. looking <laughs> all peaceful and serene and beautiful, and Jim Caviezel like swimming around <laughs> looking like Jesus. And then, yeah. what do you know? Yeah, then admiring a leaf for 25 minutes. Um, I like that film. I like that film. Uh, at Miller Time, 1976, asks, <laughs> favourite and worst Rogue One cameo? Uh, my favourite and the worst. <laughs> are, they, are they the same? Dr. Everson. Uh, because on the one hand, Dr. Everson is the, uh, the uh, and Ponda Barba, the pair of them. Yeah, are the, I know, I know. But go, people need to know. Are the uh, are the pair from the cantina in Star Wars? Oh, I uh, love that. So I thought they were going on like a, a galactic pub crawl. Yeah, it did. We're going, we're going to the Jedi Arms, yeah. and we're going to go and get smashed at the world's end. That's <laughs> All right, we got a fetish somewhere in that place. Ooh, I don't like your face, mate. The, to me, that was that was. It was too on the nose in that, yes, see those two, but have him repeat exactly the same line. It felt like no. there wasn't a spin on it. It wasn't It wasn't a clever reference. It was just an overt duplication. Yeah. Yeah. For a second, I was like, that guy looks like the guy from a new... Oh! <laughs> 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 it's the guy from new... Isn't it Michael Smiley? Because in, no. in the credits... Michael Smiley's there, yeah. A Michael Smiley. Whether it's Michael that would, Smiley that would from be hilarious. films and... Simon Farnaby from the Horrible Histories Yonderland and Paddington team, of mm. course, is, I believe, Blue 5 in this. He gets yeah. one line. Um, and f- fitting in the Celia Imry, what the fuck are you doing in this movie? <laughs> category from Phantom Menace is Geraldine James as Blue 3. Yeah. Seen just enough for you to go, yeah. is that Geraldine James? <laughs> but all of them power. Is. All of them power. The gold leader. Resurrected. And red leader. Yeah. It's Garvin Dreis. It's really good fun. Now, is this... I read someone send in a question saying this was from a uh, combination of CG it's and combination footage. of unused footage yeah, as well. Yeah, it's archive footage. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's genius. But I love the fact that you've got him talking to Red 5, who is obviously Luke in A New Hope, but there's a different Red 5 in yeah. this who gets killed, leaving the spot open for Luke to fill it in A New Hope. <laughs> that is genius. <laughs> I really loved it. And I love that they also had, uh, you know, that the other pilots also had 70s tashes and sideburns and stuff so that they fit with the look of yeah, the Rebel fleet. Did. And that's brilliant. When they have the, the scene where they're deciding what to do, and it does look like some kind of 1975 casting session or any puppet shortage nowadays (laughs) Ben Daniels as General Merrick has the best facial hair of the year I'd say we'll we'll talk about that in the review of the year podcast but that's proper good that was good I I think the the cameo that was too far was actually R2 and C3PO Unnecessary. Mm. Yeah, I, that made me smile. I, yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. And not we the same thing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not yeah. mad at it, but I just felt like that was the one that <laughs> felt a little bit shoehorned. My then, best was Bail Organa. Yeah. I was really happy to see There's him. There's a lot of, lot, of, lot of talk about that. Why weren't? How could they be on the turn two four when they got left behind? It's like, do we really need to see everything? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, uh, uh, where do you stop? 
How did those other guys in Tanti 4 get on? I want to see a separate movie now about how people boarded the Tanti 4. They were, let me get this right, they were on Yavin 4 at that point. Yeah. With the rebels, and we don't see, and a fleet was about to leave as it turned out to go and support. I mean, I don't feel like this is too huge a leap to think yeah. that they might have then accompanied the rebel yeah. fleet that left the planet they were on, Precisely. right? Well, absolutely, I, I agree. And uh, I honestly, I, I saw this on my own because uh, I'm sad sack, and uh, no, I watched this on my own because I'm awesome. And um, when they when they appeared, I wasn't expecting it at all, and I. I laughed and I smiled and I just felt right. And it, it feels right because I feel they should be in every Star Wars movie. Well, that's presumably yeah. why they're there. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I don't know how the hell they're going to get them into the Han Solo movie, but... but also, you, you also, you want to layer your geekery, don't you? You want to have a reference that everybody gets. Yeah. And yeah. you want mm. to have Darth Vader's And you want blue milk at the beginning, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Apparently, Anthony Daniels is probably hanging around the studio for months <laughs> going... Any, any chance? Any chance, guys? Hello? No? Okay, no. if I just stand over here... I could say, okay. <laughs> and there was and there was Warwick Davis as well. Yes. So that's important. Was he too. the guy who took on the tank and had the was it was that who Warwick Davis was? The guy who took on the tank. It was the, in the when uh, Saw Guerrera's uh, people attack in in Jeddah City, there's that sequence and there's uh, a small alien. He gets like a close up in a couple of moments. He's got a, a mouth like an upside down bowl. Oh yes, I know right. the one you mean. Where, where is that? I don't know where it is, but okay. I, know the one, I know the only thing you're talking about. I can't remember where he appears, but yes. The Bail Organa thing was interesting for me because uh, he first appears just emerging from the shadows and says nothing. And I thought, is that it? Is that all we're going to get? A Bail Organa? No. Yeah. Okay, no. But you, you know, you get Jimmy Smith in your movie, you get Jimmy Smith in your movie. Exactly. Um, and also, I tell you what I, I, what I loved about the Bail Organa cameo is that it, it acknowledges the prequels and acknowledges the fact that prequels exist. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Because... You know, yes, newsflash. Uh, I gave a tactical glance five stars. Yes, that's true. But there's some great, great things in the prequels, and I don't think that George Lucas should be erased from Star Wars history, and I don't think that the prequels should be erased from Star Wars history either. So, yes, to Bell Organa, mm. yeah. um, and, indeed, and to Mustafa as well, Mustafar. Oh yeah, absolutely, and and, and yeah, what Mustafa is not? Yeah, that was Simba's the, dad. That was Simba's dad. Yeah, <laughs> I meant Mustafar. <laughs> He's all over the place, James Earl Jones. He doesn't know which movie he's doing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. At Bosk, 014 asks, I just saw Rogue One, laughed out loud several times because of sheer pure enjoyment. However, I read my first Star Wars book, Catalyst, all about Galen Orso. Orso. My question is, his hubris insisting on researching the crystals caused him to lose everything, his wife and daughter. Uh ultimately his daughter so it's an even sadder ending in a way because in the end he lost everything he hoped to keep safe not so much a question really just more of a really depressing statement oh <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that but props to Galen Urso for naming a weapon of mass destruction after his only child which is weird <laughs> Just oh, yeah, Stardust. Stardust. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, this is my Maybe daughter, he's... Death Star Urso. <laughs> Maybe he's a really big fan of Neil Gaiman. You Perhaps. don't know. Or Matthew Vaughan. Or, or, yeah, Jane Goldman. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was a lovely touch. Lovely touch. Uh, well, what did we make of the other code names? I only caught a couple when they were going through the, the files. It felt like a Jason Bourne movie suddenly broke out in the middle of it. going, there's a uh, Dreadstone. Dreadstone. I thought it was like the cube with Philip Schofield. They had to kind of negotiate the thing, the arms, and they lose a life. and then It's a physical challenge. I don't know. Um, Black Saber was one of the, uh, the, the code names I, I, I got. 
We don't even know what well, that maybe means. in 40 yeah. years they can do a standalone film yeah. about that. Yeah. Star Wars Black it's Saber. It's Dark Saber, isn't it? Uh, what's that? It's, it's a novel, isn't it? Or a comic Is it? or something. Or, yeah. Someone said it might be a reference uh, to Rebels, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, at Lanky Marion or Ian Key Marion. I think I may have been mispronouncing this in the podcast for a long time. I think it may be Ian Key Marlin. Marlin. Marlin! Oh my, oh my God. God. Anyway, whatever your name is, uh, asks how did Cornelius, Dr. Cornelius Evasan and his mate survive the destruction of Jeddah? Again, we don't They're need bladders. to see that, do we? <laughs> they left already. There's like a day yeah. in between. It's fine. What goes on to her stays on to her. They just... Uh... <laughs> So just the ruins, smoking ruins of Jeddah City, and then they just emerge. <laughs> Two alcoholics. Right. Hey. Then it becomes the hangover. Yeah. <laughs> they have to retrace their steps. Amazing. Um, the Chef Insider asks about things we've already talked about, uh, but says, would have loved to have seen a spin-off movie just following Donnie Yen and uh, Chang Wen, or Wen Jiang. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. That's the best relationship in the film to me. Those well, there are two and three PO, aren't they? Yeah, it's in Fortress, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, they're based it's, on the same the, two characters as R2 and 3PO. Yeah. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. So will they be in all the other Star Wars movies now as well? <laughs> Just embedded there. I thought they were fantastic. I thought Donnie was, was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought there was real surprising uh, emotion yeah. when very he died. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Um, <laughs> when I knew it was coming, thanks. Um I just, I just loved the I'm one with the force, the forces with me. Yeah. His faith in the force and what that gave him as a character, and also he's Donnie Yen. He just kicks ass. He really he does. does. He's so cool to watch. He's very, very cool. He had a, just a lovely sense of serenity and calm. Yeah. But then the the uh, the fact that he had Bay's kind of backing him up and stepping in when you know things got a little bit too hot, hot even for a martial artist like him i thought was was great as well and that sort of sense of exasperation mm. like all right i'll open fire like, the force saved me i saved you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love those two that dynamic was great loads of fun admit one movies too asks uh, why so much rain what particular emotion were the filmmakers trying to evoke with so much rain kurosawa kurosawa reference yeah. Yeah. always raining in kurosawa yeah. <laughs> always yeah. rain yeah, it's like manchester <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dagobah, the Manchester of the. Uh, does it rain in Dagobah? It kind of does. No, it, it just does, a bit, it does. It does, yeah. does it? Yeah, it does. It rains on R2 when he peers through yeah, right. the window. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it does. Mm. Uh, I'd say probably a thick, a thick sheen of despair is what they were trying to evoke. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to set you up, aren't they? I mean, what? the first. If, yeah, sorry. Well, no, I, mean, Gareth, I was just going to say, Gareth Edwards talked about not so much going back to the Star Wars movies as the movies that inspired Star Wars, yeah. right? So yeah. that is literally all the Kurosawas and all that kind of stuff. But the opening uh, the opening of the movie where we see um, Mads Mikkelsen as Galen Erso mm. uh, with hair that makes him look like John Wick's brother. Yeah, on Iceland. Uh, on Iceland. And you have that incredible, just that sense of the really horrible, horrible weather and uh, Krennic's cloak flapping around mm. I, I just love that I love the fact that right from the off it's basically going here's a bleak landscape guys yeah, yeah. this is pretty much where the movie's going someone tweeted in and you should find the name you mm. got there Chris is that, why did he park so far from the house <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair point you find that name it's a very good joke and you should credit that joke to somebody uh, it's Tom Lathwaite yeah. at Tom Lathwaite at the start of the film why did he park so far from the house maybe he had a moment of actual consideration and didn't want to burn the crops yeah Maybe that that seems really in character. Yeah. But maybe his pilot was considerate. Or maybe it was just a mother and child space near the house and he didn't want to break the law. Who knows? I thought it was a perfect scene to run credits over. If you were going to do a credit I scene. I thought so as well. So oh, yeah. Rather than the, the big 
Rogue One that comes up. Yeah, I, the, the title yeah. bothered me. Like the like it, 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 it sort of slapped like an like an unwelcome cock shot. It just kind of was there on your screen. You're trying Good to avoid Lord. it, and it was just like you know, I, it really bothered me that because it, it, again, it come back to my the title thing. There was no crawl. There was no Star Wars. There was no fanfare. And the Rogue One title, yeah, it didn't say. I think in time you me. will learn to embrace it. Really? Yes. In time you will call me master. Yes. Uh, it's it's <laughs> um, one. This. You? Yeah. I, I I think you also you may have font issues. <laughs> yes, I had. As Christopher Walken had, I have font issues. Uh, Dewey Howells asks, has there been a more monumental case of seeing your own power turned against you than Director Krennic's front row seat to the Death Star's destruction of the Empire's space library? <laughs> yeah, that's a really, really great point. Uh, that he was alive long enough to go, oh, bugger. Mm-hmm. Mm. Ouch. <laughs> poetic justice, people. Yeah. Poetic justice. And we all love Mendelssohn. I loved him. Yeah. I yeah. thought he was great. I, I, I love him as an actor. I didn't particularly feel the arc I guess I didn't particularly feel his never mind he didn't feel feel like no but he didn't he didn't feel like a a a powerful baddie to be reckoned with in the end I don't think he was I'm not not saying it was meant to but that was less effective for me than and I, I guess you know he didn't have to be he was backed up by by Tarkin and Vader, which is yeah. a pretty good pet of, uh, set of sidekicks, but I, I don't know. I just I just find something vaguely narratively unsatisfying about his story. I, I liked him a lot. I thought he was very very good. Um, it's interesting you had because you said that in the regular podcast this mm. week as well uh, about him, which kind of set me up because I expected him to be usurped as a main bad guy, right? Judging from your comments, because I hadn't seen it at that point, and he and he he isn't he isn't, really. he isn't, he yeah. isn't, he isn't. Um, but he has that. He has that obsession with with Urso, who, in an interesting wrinkle, you get the sense he considered to be his friend. Mm. Yeah. Well, they clearly uh, were, because they yeah. they're having drinks earlier on. And in Coruscant, or somewhere a lot like it, if not. Yeah, yeah they were university buddies. Yeah, yeah you get uh, Dr. Evasan and... No, they are, uh, if you read in, right. in Catalyst. They are okay, they are. Okay, I haven't yeah. read it, because I'm, you know, sorry, sorry. But uh, just out of shot, you get Dr. Evasan getting pissed in the same <laughs> bar. Uh, in the student union uh, in Coruscant swing at you mate uh, Scottish I, now for some I reason. like that even though he's an imperial he's not English uh, I thought that really set was him apart he? he was Australian was he? Like, where's me fucking playing you mongrel everybody just pretty much brought their own accents to the yeah. party and that kind of worked actually for me yeah. I, thought, I, I rather liked it but it comes back to the thing that Edward was saying that he's he's like the equivalent of the working class boy done good in, yeah. a, in a group yeah. of public school you know, eaten yes, yeah. in Bullingdon Club types. Uh, and you get that idea that he's got a massive inferiority complex. Oh, yeah, you definitely get that. Um, and I really liked that about him, yeah. that he was so heavily flawed. He was a, a grey-haired toady who was ingratiating himself with a much, much more powerful person. The moment when he went to see Fader and Mustafar reminded me of a certain someone getting into a gold lift with another certain someone. Yeah. But hey, maybe did I'm you, reading too much you, into it. I wasn't sure about seeing Vader in Back to Tank. The first time we see him, we don't see him as Vader. I think mm. it's a strange decision. To yeah, that's. I thought it was going to be the Emperor because there's a guy coming in with the, the robe and, and whatnot, and obviously Ian McDermott's still yes, around. Yes, I wondered about that. That kind of freaked me out slightly. Mm. But you're seeing him in the tank. I mean, it was obviously it was a callback to the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, you know, yeah. you see the back of his head, but that was a that was a nice sequence. He's just like a torso floating in soup. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned references earlier on, Jimbo, and uh, someone sent in a question, and I'm so sorry I didn't get your name because uh, I did this last minute. Uh, it says listed a number of ones, so, so this guy was really watching this film with three, with uh, you know fine detail. Uh, Says there are moisture evaporators and blue milk in the Urso's home. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Jin's dream, they appear to be in Coruscant, as as you mm-hmm. said, Helen. 
Paul de Baba and Dr. Evasan, yes, we noticed that. The Guardians of the Wills, reference to the Journal of the Wills. Uh, Saul Guerrero's place, his men are playing Dejirak with solid figures, yep. Yep. not holograms. So I missed all this stuff. Yeah. Captain Antilles reference we mentioned, mm-hmm. Fader in the back to tank, Gold Reader, Red Leader, Red 5 being destroyed, you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. In Yavin 4, over the PA, they call for General Sindula, which could be a reference to Hera Sindula from Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> okay, cool. Her dad. Aww, That's cool. Um, apparently the Ghost, which is the ship in, in Star Wars yep. Rebels, can be seen at one point yeah. in the final battle as well. Um, and the Hammerhead Corvette, which is the ship yes. that smashes the Star Destroyer into each other, uh, is a direct nod to Rebels. So those ships were arranged to be stolen from Princess Leia by the Rebels, stolen with inverted commas to preserve Alderaan's neutrality so that's all very exciting he missed out uh, the mouse robot which you don't see but you do do hear also the Death Star droid appears twice he appears once in his silver incarnation which you remember from the original films he appears also in a kind of a rather nice stealth matte black and I wondered whether that was a reference to K2SO who in the original John Knoll treatment was an Imperial protocol droid who I believe was in black and then he became this kind of tactician new model droid later on so I wondered if that's what that was as I push my glasses up my nose (laughs) and adjust your pocket protector Uh, at Cunningham JH asks uh, is this the best looking Star Wars film? ooh interesting um I don't know how to answer that. I mean, it's I, certainly up there. It was gorgeous. The, yes. the use of locations was absolutely mm. fantastic. And that's the biggest problem with the prequels, that so yeah. much of it is... Although, the, when they do go on location, they really go on yeah. location. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. like, um, Seville, mm. Lake Como, those kind of places were great. But, um, but yeah, I mean, even Canary Wharf looked amazing, so... You've got to get props to that. It is amazing. Also, I love the I love the seventies throwback stuff. I love that when they did the Death Star ignition sequence, I genuinely was like, "Is this archive footage if they completely, you know, recreated the console with like seventies knobs and levers?" Yeah. I thought that was fantastic. There's some amazing shots of the Death Star that we've never seen before from angles we've never yeah. seen. Yes, in shadow, coming around yeah. a planet, all that kind yeah. of stuff was gorgeous. That, that shot is arriving in, Scar- in Scarif is yeah. just fantastic. I absolutely adored mm. that. You know, you can see why they made it a poster. Yeah. Ultimately, which one do you like? The Star Destroyer. Uh, the Star Destroyer coming out of shadow, which is in one of the trailers. That's a beautiful shot. Yeah, and the Star Destroyer being over the Jeddah City as well. I love that yeah. shot. Mm. That shot too. There's a lot of really nice stuff in there. Yeah. You know, uh, the ATST running through the streets, shooting things. That's lovely. Mm. You know, there's, there's there's so much stuff in there. So much fan service, and some of it's so well done. Some of it very unsubtle and not as good, but some of it just genius. Mm. Yeah. Um, La Paz asks very quickly. Do you think Jin Erso uh, having a Kyber crystal was a strange plot point that never really went anywhere? I guess that's explained by the book. And maybe maybe it didn't have to be maybe I mean maybe it was literally just a, a symbol of her attachment to her family and mm, her father's yeah. obsession with the crystals, I guess. But I mean, yeah, you maybe maybe there might have been an earlier incarnation of the script where she actually used it for something in particular. I, I liked the idea that the Death Star was powered by Kyber crystals because they're a very scarce resource. And obviously that explains why they're not just building these things left, right, and center. Obviously, they're also planet-sized. But uh, <laughs> I thought that was kind of a nice touch that this is a scarce resource. That it's difficult to build a Death Star. Yeah. And it's nice to have something that's used for good and for evil. Yeah, this is a Jedi yeah, weapon. Yeah. Two-edged sword. Yeah. And the very last question. This comes from at Sean Rival, and he says, I'm a huge fan of Star Wars. I was wondering if you guys could give me your definitive list of favourite droids in the series now. We're eight movies in. Maybe not all droids. Uh, BB-8 and K2SO have stolen, almost stolen, the last two movies with their mixture of wit and cute charm. I'd be interested to hear who the pod favours the most, and maybe more interestingly, the least. Mm. I'm going to have to be pretty, you know, pretty straightforward and go R2, BB-8, K2... 
and then a huge gap, <laughs> and then all the other droids ever, including C-3PO, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm. Maybe a less huge gap for C-3PO, and then, then all the others. Siri's clearly upset that we haven't listed her That's on the... genuinely terrifying. <laughs> what did you say to just trigger Siri? Okay. It's all very bizarre. Uh, I oh, have, I C-3PO. Oh, do you that think was that's probably it. You said hey, C3PO. Hey, C3PO. Okay. 3PO! We're me! Um, 3PO is way down the list for me. Yeah. I put the mouse straight above 3PO. <laughs> so would I. Um, Jimbo? Uh, do you know what? It's funny. I, I have a real. Uh, BB 8 kind of stole my heart a lot in, in Force Awakens just because he has such amazing gags. But the reason for that is so much emphasis is placed on him in a, placed on him in a way that was never placed on R2. So R2 will always have a place in my heart. But if I could have one droid for my own personal use, it'd be BB-8. What's the medical droid? What's that one called? Well, that's 2-1-B. It is 2-1-B. Because they're underpaid. They're, they work so hard. <laughs> you know, they spend years being students. Yeah. And it's just, you know... If we could just take the 350 million uh, credits a week that we send to the Empire and redirect it to the, the medical robots. 2-1-B could get a mortgage. Put that on the side of an ad-at yeah. and you're, then you're laughing, aren't you? I would um, think okay. in, in the office we could do with uh, Jabba's Jobsworth droid. We have need of you on the Master's sail barge. <laughs> oh, he's awesome. <laughs> he is awesome. And the little fat <laughs> yeah. squat one. Yeah, yeah, I like that as well. Yeah. Uh, K2S, so I thought it was fantastic. Really mm, he was very good. Yeah. Um, okay, right. That is all the time we have because we're about to be kicked out of the pod booth. Um, Really enjoyed this film. Really enjoyed uh, talking to you guys as well. And uh, uh, that is it. That's it. That's all the time we have. We're about to be kicked out of the pod booth. Uh, that's it for a Rogue One, a Star Wars story spoiler special. Uh, sorry if we didn't answer all your questions, but I kind of feel we did, in a way. Uh, don't forget the regular podcast, the Mothership podcast, the Star Destroyer podcast is up every Friday. Uh, so please subscribe to that if you don't already. Give us a nice review on iTunes as well, if you fancy that too. Our review of the year pod is also coming. Um, our next spoiler special hasn't been confirmed yet, but if you were to put money on it being Logan, it wouldn't be the daftest bet in the world. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from James. There is another podcast. <laughs> Meaning, of course, the review of the year, which we're recording next. Yes. Uh, and it's goodbye from Ian. You say goodbye, I say or so. so or so. You've been working on that the whole way through, haven't you? For three weeks I've been playing that. <laughs> and it's goodbye for me. I'm off to make a short film about high 3PO and R2 got in the Tantai 4 because that sort of thing matters, apparently. See you next time. Bye. Okay, so that was the spoiler special the first take and now it's time for a new second brief section but one I felt that this was important for us to do it is uh, Helen is here I'm here and we're going to talk about the late great Carrie Fisher uh, and I think it's fitting in a way that we're talking about Rogue One because even though we know we're going to see Carrie Fisher as Leia in episode 8 uh, next year the end of this movie inadvertently became a weird great tribute to Carrie Fisher and to and to Princess Leia. Uh, I know a couple of people who got in touch with me on Twitter and they said that they, they cried when they saw the film after her death because they A, didn't know she was going to be in it mm-hmm. uh, and obviously B, it, it took them by surprise and it, you know brought up a whole lot of yeah. uh, emotional baggage there. Uh, I find it very moving. I went back yeah. to see it with my family after Christmas and okay. after after her death and, and it is um, it does give you a little moment of pause to see her again. And then I actually went back and watched the original trilogy over Christmas. Uh-huh. And, um, oh, really? The whole thing? The whole thing. Wow. And, and Leia is not on screen as much as you think, but her influence is so outsized. 
um, that it's that it's quite astonishing. Um, mm. I mean, the first film in particular is her story. She is actually the not only the impetus for the the story beginning. Her mm. message gets everybody going, mm-hmm. um, but she is the by some distance the most sort of you know competent in control uh, person. She is the one with the plan to fight the empire. Really, uh, she is the one who's kind of making all of that move, and and mm. you know. There's some farm boy who's kind of tagging along for the ride, and like this hotshot pilot who's helping them out a little bit. Mm. That's kind of it, though. Mm. You know. Well, we did a we did a back and forth, um, not obituary, but we did a back and forth discussion about Carrie Fisher uh, after yeah. she died on the Empire website. And um, you know, for anyone who read that, I'm going to repeat a couple of points here. But it's fascinating watching Leia in A New Hope because she is. Fully formed. I mean, George Lucas gets so much crap over the years for not being able to write dialogue or not being able to write characters, but New Hope's full of indelible, fully yeah. formed characters right from the off. And obviously a lot of that has to do with the actors as well. But uh, there's something about Leia, you know, she's not just a damsel in distress. She's she's in a prison cell for pretty much the, the first hour, 70, 80 minutes of the movie. But she has such authority and uh, such... Uh, sass and <laughs> and and fire. That is, it's just fun watching her. It's one. It's fun watching her. Uh, kind of assess everybody she meets with a withering disdain. <laughs> you know, like Grant Moff Tarkin. She insults yeah, him. And she yeah. says he smells, and you do wonder and, how he smells. He and, must smell pretty bad. <laughs> he probably smells like lavender. Didn't he actually smell like lavender? <laughs> but. I, no, I think that's that's kind of interesting because also he doesn't really react to that, which says to me they've had that conversation, they've been in that fight before, yeah. and he doesn't want to get drawn into a war of words with this woman because yeah. he's worried she'll win. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, <laughs> he escalated pretty quickly. It has to be said by well, blowing yeah, up her home yeah, planet. Yeah. But she, she, so she, uh, she, she has his number. She you does. smell smelly Tarkin. <laughs> uh, you know, Luke Skywalker. Aren't she immediately disses his height. <laughs> Aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? Oh, thanks a bunch. <laughs> and then, of course, Han Solo. She sees through Han Solo immediately. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, which sets in motion the, uh, the offence that obviously lead to but uh, just their relationship. His, his look of betrayal when she really sort of fires off in the corridor, that, that speech ending with, will someone get this walking carpet out of my yeah. way? Um, his look of just this isn't. I know how this is supposed to go. This is not how it's supposed to go. He's he's just he's like a kid whose toy has been taken away. He's so upset by it. Yeah, um, it's amazing. I had forgotten she does this Chewie as well. So yeah, but Chewie can take it. A couple of you know. points in the old debit column. There. Hey hey, she had a she had like a cuddly toy Wookie as a as a child, didn't she? I think that's I think I don't know if that's canon anymore, but there's certainly <laughs> been a reference to that somewhere. So I think it's okay. Walking carpet. Uh, yeah, she's so she's so good in that film. Um, and she was she was she was just brilliant throughout the the, uh, the trilogy. Mm. She gets a lot of not just heavy lifting to do emotionally. The whole Han and Leia storyline, that you know, but the, the the stuff in Return of the Jedi. She has to make acting opposite a bunch of teddy bears <laughs> seem real, and she mm-hmm. sells it totally, sells it completely, sells it. Mm. But the scene that for me that really stands out. For me, anyway, that 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 showed Carrie Fisher's uh, skills as an actress, and you know the ability to take that you can say the ship, you can type the ship, but you can't say a dialogue. Mm. Is uh, the scene where Luke tells her that in very quick succession she finds out Fader is her dad, she's Luke's sister, and she's strong in the Force herself, and that's a really difficult scene, and she she nails it. Yeah, absolutely gets it. 
Uh, and yet that's probably the layer that's furthest from the one we first see. Mm. And I think you could, I mean, a cynic would say that's them trying to sort of feminise her a bit and kind of soften her rough edges. You could also see it as just growing maturity. Like she's yeah. been through a lot with these guys. She's kind of changed as a result of that. And I think that's an equally valid um, sort of reading of it. But it, 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 I think, plays in nicely to The Force Awakens because you see the compassion she shows in that scene and the mm. sort of maturity of, of emotion... I think carries through to, you know, The Force Awakens because, you know, as well as losing two sets of parents, I mean, you know, that, which begins to look like carelessness, as, <laughs> as Oscar Wilde said, two sets of parents, um, her planet, God knows how many allies in fights over the years, yeah. um, her husband to separation, yeah. her son to the dark side, yeah. she does not waver. She is yeah. the, star, the Skywalker who does not even contemplate the dark side. Mm. I mean, mm. it is, it's interesting. It's the, the, it, it feels a missed opportunity, perhaps, that in Jedi we don't get to see her have a scene with Vader after that, mm, after maybe. that revelation. It would have been interesting because you have Luke, who's uh, who processes the information that, that Vader is his dad, and Luke is very clearly feeling the pull towards the dark side yeah. throughout Jedi that's that's very very clear I don't think Leia would have felt that I think that she would have been she's stronger to look in many many ways uh, and it would have been interesting to see how that would have manifested itself yeah. maybe it would have unbalanced things maybe he couldn't yeah. have sort of <laughs> sounds, sounds weird but maybe he couldn't have resisted her maybe he couldn't have um, dismissed her maybe yeah. he, he wouldn't have I don't know it does put the uh, the uh, the first scene of New Hope into sharp perspective doesn't when you realise that that's the first scene that she has yeah. with Vader is oh my god that's your dad father and daughter <gasps> yeah it's, it's pretty pretty cool yeah. um, but also there's, you know it has a certain reflection in the you know what happens in between Jedi and Force Awakens in that she effectively does give birth to Darth Vader 2.0 and and isn't able to yeah bring that, herself to bear on, on that situation I that, think I think that's really interesting actually mm. because I think it's we're used to these figures, these female figures in in science fiction or whatever, or, or just generally in in the world, being portrayed as you know mother figures, and and it is still one of the greatest sort of sins that you can um, accuse a woman of as being a bad mother, mm. if they are a mother. Otherwise, it's just weird. Um, <laughs> and and you know, at some point, you kind of have to wonder. I mean, and and again, we don't want to get into to sort of making accusations that we don't know the background of. At some point you have to wonder, did Leia fail Ben? Mm. Um, and presumably at some point she did a little bit. Presumably she didn't, she wasn't able to communicate this great strength that she has yeah. and this great belief that she has to her son. So yeah. that, that does feel like a failing. And I think it may go back to her commitment to the cause, which always came first in every single film. I think, um, but it, it it's it's an interesting wrinkle in her character. And when people say she's idealized, I think that really cuts against it because mm. I don't think I don't think she is quite. And I, I think it's, yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, if we accept that Han Solo is is fatally flawed, which he is, we have to accept that there there are some flaws within Princess yeah. Leia. Yeah. There, there, there simply have to be. And uh, Kylo Ren is a pretty big flaw. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to see the Jeremy Kyle episode or I, Kylo I, episode. I do wonder slightly if. Um, how that's going to play out. I mean, obviously, we're presuming now she won't be in episode nine unless they're able to sort of reallocate some scenes from episode eight. I, we mm. have no idea. We just, we, we don't know enough about it, I think. Yeah. But I wonder if that's going to necessitate big, big changes in, in that sort of arc and in that, that character. 
Um, that would be obviously a worry for, I guess, Colin Trevorrow right now. Mm. Um, Absolutely, I'm still too far out. I think of to course, really yeah. talk about it, but it's 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 going to be intriguing. That's for sure. But yeah, it, it's been fascinating watching, as ever on Twitter, uh, this outpouring of grief and love. Um, what, what did Leia mean to you? Oh, she was my heroine. Um, I, I genuinely, no, I, I wrote this in another piece recently yeah. that, that I played as Leia in the playground. Really? And, and the, first, the first comment basically was like, I don't remember girls playing Star Wars. And I'm like, well, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> but it was great because it was genuinely a cast iron excuse to play with the boys. If the boys were playing Star Wars, and they always were because it was the 80s, um, then I was like, well, I'm going to be Leia. And then they had to let me play. So it was kind of fun. Um, but, you know, what you would do as Leia is you'd basically sit in a corner for five minutes while they figured out how to rescue you. And it would take a little while of running around and waving your arms about mm. pretending to have blasters. And then you'd take over because that's what Leia does. <laughs> it, was, it's the, it, was the, it was the greatest. I, I always loved Princess Leia. Um, uh, possibly aging myself <laughs> here. Um, my parents saw Star Wars when my mother was pregnant, heavily pregnant with me. Okay. And my dad drove home pretending to be an X-Wing pilot. That's dangerous. And so I feel like my, you know, my love Well done goes, for being here. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like my love goes back a long way. Yes. It, it feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember, I mean, I have, I have so many favourite Leia moments and I realise we're not really talking about Rogue One at the, this point in time, but no. yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, we will in a second. Um, I have so many favourite Leia moments. I just, because I had a huge Star Wars toy collection when I was growing up and... Oh, um, I would have been so jealous. Yeah. She's fascinating within the context of the trilogy, just the evolution, because she's, I, as a kid, it did take me a while to get over the, you know, to re- realise that she wasn't Luke's love interest, you know, as a as a whatever sure, age, yeah. you know. Because they have that moment where she kisses him good luck as they swing across the chasm in the Death Star, uh, which for me is one of the most romantic moments in the history of, of cinema and is now tainted... <laughs> With ickiness, <laughs> you're just going. What? Are you, what's happening here? Um, but I, I love that moment. I still love that moment. I love the fact that she has a British accent when she talks to Tarkin, and an American accent when she talks to everybody else. Uh, I think that's amazing. There's so many great moments in Empire. Oh my god! I, I my, the love scene in Empire is is the absolute pinnacle for me. I, I there's a love scene. Oh, you mean well, kind oh, of, oh, not like not sexy. Sex scene. Okay, no, not, not um, yeah. Uh, although if you if you ever listen to Kirsch's commentary on that, he's cackling about it. Really? You know, he's like, "This is a kiss," which in this film is the equivalent of sex. <laughs> it didn't go in; it just impacted on oh, the surface. Oh, Chris! What? No, um, no, okay. inappropriate. Anyway, um, but the whole "I happen to like, like nice men," you know, yeah, nice men. Oh, of course, she says, "Great line, nerf herder." She says, "Scruffy looking nerf herder." It's just one of the, you know, one of the best words ever. Um, so much, so so many great moments, and you know, I am going to mention the gold bikini, sure, because she makes it work. Again, she had this incredible ability to take things that should not have worked mm-hmm. on page, whether it's dialogue scenes or the emotional content of a scene or a gold bikini. Yeah, that is some extreme underwiring yeah. right there. And, yeah. yeah, and turn it around and strangle the giant muppet, uh, and and just own it. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the Rolling Stone shots that were d- d- done with, uh, with Carrie Fisher at the time, uh, where she's on the beach in the gold bikini. Mm-hmm. It just there was someone. Uh, sorry, I don't know this this lady's name. Posted a, a picture of an outtake I'd never seen, 
where she's being engulfed in water in the in the have you seen this picture? I don't know if I have. She's on the beach and she's being engulfed by a wave and there's just pure delight on her face. It's one of the yes. best pictures I think I've ever seen. Uh it's extraordinary. And she she took that and she 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 made it work and one of the very best friends episodes came out of that. <laughs> so I'm very very happy about that as well. Uh, yes, the gold was, bikini makes a lot of people very happy actually. But um, honestly I never and this is maybe because I saw it at a certain age or whatever. I never it never sexualized Leia for me, mm. and I never saw it as I just saw it as as what Jabba's dancers wear, what he the big yeah. giant slimy slug makes his dancers wear. It was the first one I saw. Um, I saw mm. them all out of order. I saw three, one, two, um, and <gasps> uh, it was I was young. We went to the cinema. And my dad kind of filled me in on what was happening. It was fine. But your dad was an X-wing fighter pilot. I don't understand. He was able to explain the plot as a result of that. Yeah. Anyway, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think if, if if you know there have been sort of feminists out there who complained about the the bikini, and sure, some of those criticisms are fair, you know. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, as metaphors go, she then strangles the man, the thing that put her in it, mm-hmm. and changes into her normal clothes, as Carrie Fisher herself pointed out. Mm. Not a bad message. So really, <laughs> you know, I. I I've never, I've never seen a problem with that. It never felt like, yeah. you know, it never felt icky to me because yeah. of because of that. And she gets to do one more great swing with uh, with Luke. Yeah, and exactly. she she drives the plot of of Jedi so much uh, with the you know going off on the speeder bikes and she has that great moment towards the end uh, where Han says I love you and then she says I know and then she shoots two people yeah. dead. Then she shoots two people dead. It's so romantic, Aww. so so much fun. Uh, she was so good. Uh, and I, you know, I've I have the T-shirt. I have the the Han T-shirt saying "I love you." Uh, no, I've got the Han T-shirt saying "I know," and the Leia T-shirt saying "I love you." And then at another Star Wars celebration, there was you could get the same T-shirts oh, but swapped. That's good. That was pretty pretty yeah. cool. Um, she was great. We're we're going to talk about Carrie Fisher in a wider context mm. and the rest of her career on the regular podcast as well. But uh, within Star Wars, within this legacy that she left. Uh, she was she was a giant, and it's it's a obviously a huge tragedy because she was at the she was at the cusp of this great second act of her life. She seemed so content. Uh, she seemed that she had really come to terms with Leia and the legacy of Leia, yeah. and what that meant for her life and what that meant for her career. And it, it's such a shame to see her snatched away in, in circumstances like this. Uh, there was a great story. I don't know if you read this over Christmas uh, about someone said that uh, someone owned a comic book store mm-hmm. and said one day Carrie Fisher breezed into the comic book store with 10 minutes to go until it was closing and proceeded to buy everything Star Wars related everything <laughs> Princess Leia related she walked around with assistants just you know what's this okay put it in the bag put it in the bag I just want to know what became of that stuff did she give it away to charity did she keep it did she have a Princess Leia shrine a museum <laughs> What was what was going on there? But it's uh, that's a lovely, lovely, lovely story. I went to a screenwriting talk she did once at the British Library. Oh wow! And, um, and I, I don't remember everything that she said um, because I have a terrible memory. But I do remember <laughs> her talking about actually the bikini scene, really, and talking about her waking up her daughter who must have been young at the time, like eleven maybe. Mm. And so her daughter had fallen asleep when they were watching. Uh, Jedi or maybe they've been doing a marathon and she literally like poked her awake and said look look it's me with the hot body you have to look this is your this is this is your legacy you've got to watch this bit um, 
so yeah, she was hilarious. She was great. She was great. And we should probably just talk about the Rogue One thing again. Uh, I think I said in the previous podcast that I, you know, on the previous section that we recorded anyway, that I have I, I had issues with people being brought back digitally, yeah. and uh, I don't think the CG was all there, but. Context changes everything, I mm. think, and now I, I think it is. A, it's a it's a lovely tribute. I haven't seen Rogue One since she passed, mm. and I'm a bit worried about how I'm going to react. It was it was it was yeah. It's it's a lot to to see now, but it's uh, but it's really nice. I mean, and I also love just the Jimmy Smith's moment earlier. Yeah, I trust her with my life. I just I adore that. Yeah. I kind of wish they'd had a a scene together, and obviously that never happened because of you know real life timelines. But yeah. Um, but I thought that was that was great as well, and maybe it makes up a little bit for her never having that father daughter scene with mm. with Vader. Okay, well I think uh, you and I could probably talk about Carrie Fisher and Leia for hours, but this is probably a nice point in which to end. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that is it for our Rogue One, a Star Wars story spoiler special. That's not easy to say. It's it's a lot of S's in a row. It's a lot of S's. I don't think they thought that through. I don't think they thought about poor podcast hosts when they changed the title. Why not just Star Wars Rogue One? That's what. It was Maybe it's because you know. Then it you sounds know. like it's not a spin-off. Like it sounds like it's part of. Anyway, yeah. this is. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, our next spoiler special is likely to be for Logan, <gasps> which comes out in March. Now, of course, if our recent track record with spoiler specials is anything to go by, then our spoiler special for that will be out in May. <laughs> uh, but hopefully, keep them peeled in March and keep them peeled. Generally, for specials and spoiler specials, because you never know when one might unexpectedly drop. Mm. Ooh. Ooh. I'm hoping that something happens soon, but I can't sure. say. All right. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Very exciting. Uh, the regular podcast is, of course, out every Friday, so uh, do listen to that if you liked what you heard here, and if you didn't, please listen to it anyway. Um, until next time, James and Ian have already said goodbye in their little, little portion. Uh, it's farewell from Helen. Goodbye. It's farewell from me. Uh, and this podcast is, of course, dedicated to the memory of the late, great Carrie Fisher. The Force will be with her always.